I don't know how after that we sing for what was about four and a half minutes, you are good, you are good, oh, I, I say it different, oh, <laughs> not oh, oh, like, so good, like, wow, oh, right? And then afterwards I say, how y'all doing? It's like, I'm chilling. Coffee ain't hit yet. Like, what's up with y'all? So I'm going to ask again, not because I want you to be hype and not because I'm a Trinorican slash Afro-Latino preacher who might be more eccentric and louder than what you're accustomed to with your worship experience. Not because of that. That's, that's not it. It's not me trying to bring that in. I've, I've quelled that over the years. But just because he's good, how are y'all doing? Okay, all right, whatever. It's, it's all good. 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 By the end of the message, no. By the end of the message, ha. Okay, no. Plan. Series. Buen provecho. Do you remember what it means from last week? Anybody? What does it mean? Buen provecho. Say it again. Ah, no, that's bon appetit. For my French person, that's bon appetit. Don't you do that. Don't you confuse me. Enjoy. What else does it mean? There's a second, there's a, there's a B meaning, a, a, a second clause, the thing that I actually hammered for like 37 minutes. To take full advantage of. Buen provecho is to enjoy. It's not a literal translation because a lot of things in Spanish, right? A lot of things in Spanish, uh, a lot of the words you learn in like a Spanish 101 or in a Duolingo, they tend to be what's called cognates. Okay, I'm not a language expert but I know a little bit, so they're called cognates, and it's usually where in the English language there's a word that's spelled or is structured similarly to the word in the Spanish language. I'm sure it happens in other languages, but I've only studied Spanish. And so as a result, you go, oh, this has to be this because it looks like this. And then sometimes we just forget the cognate. Sometimes the definition is just so spot on, we're like, okay, this is what it is. This is not one of those. There's a lot of hidden meaning in this, for which I admittedly borrowed. So like, don't show up, to, show up to a church service somewhere else where Donovan's not present and say, buen provecho to like the preacher. They're not gonna know what you're talking about, right? Don't go to um, like a review of your business taxes and say to your accountant afterwards, buen provecho, like after you hand them like the paperwork for them to look at, not gonna make sense. I'm borrowing an expression from dining and I am suggesting that it might be applicable to our worship. Make sense? So as we're summarizing all of last week, I am admittedly taking something that's not supposed to be there and saying, this would be amazing if it, if it was a good description or a, uh, an invitation into how we could approach worship, how we could approach his presence. Now, if you remember, because I'm decent at telling stories, if you can remember, there was a story last week where I went to a cafe in Old San Juan, okay? It was back in 2017, so it was six years ago, and I was retelling an experience with a meal that I had, again, six years ago, that to this day is still special to me, so much so I booked a flight for Felicia and I to go to this island to get this meal again. Like, that's how great this experience was. I had a dish called, I'm not gonna make you guess, mofongo. And mofongo is prepared several different ways, all right? Mofongo could be with just platanos or unripened plantains mashed together and made into like a really special lava cake filled with rice and your protein and sauce of choice. Or the way I prefer it, and this is the way I described it last week 
but I'm gonna clarify just because if you Google it, it won't be how I described it. How I enjoyed it the first time, and maybe this is why it was so memorable, I was told by the server I could make my lava cake, again, just for your ability to imagine, I was told I could make my lava cake out of three starches, not just one. So I chose to blend unripened plantains, or platanos, with ripened plantains, maduros, with yuca, which is a whole different thing, and some islands call it cassava. So I mixed three different starchy foods, and I put them together, and the sweetness of the, of the one with the saltiness of the other, with the heartiness of the third, like they blended together to make the Avengers of food lava cakes. And then I filled it with roast pork. Again, if you're not a meat eater, we can find something else, Cass, I am sure. We got you covered. There's something else we could put in this dome. But I put roast pork or pork butt, okay? Pork shoulder, don't get silly, Josh. I put pork butt in mine with sauce, rice, and gandules, these little peas. That's what I did, and it was amazing. And when I stabbed into this lava cake, sauce bellowed out, or I should say, warm air bellowed out, and sauce cascaded down, and it was amazing. And I said, if I can describe food in that way, imagine if I could describe my time of worship in that way. What would my life look like if I approached worship the way I approached that meal? We also talked about how in our daily living, we can find ourselves approaching other things and thinking it will satisfy the way those amazing experiences with God will. And they don't. They just don't hit the same. Okay? And so what ends up happening is we might go to another restaurant and say, I'm going to order the same thing because surely they're going to be good at it, but they just don't do it the same way. Right? I mentioned a place in Reading that made that same meal, and nothing against that place. They made it the way they know how to make it. It just wasn't it for me. Someone else would go to that same place, and it would be amazing. And if, I'm not, if my memory serves well, it was a Dominican restaurant, so I should have known from the beginning, like, the Dominican restaurant is going to have a different style by which they prepare that dish than the Puerto Rican restaurant that I initially had it. The same way if I went to Cuba, Cubans would have a different way of preparing that same dish. They all think it's theirs. The same way, that's funny, that sound effect was hilarious. I don't know if you heard it, because I was about to say something that was going to align with that sound effect, but I don't, if y'all didn't hear it, forget it. Dun, 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 right? That's how I felt after I had it from the Dominicans. Not because it was bad. I'm not downing Dominican food. It just wasn't what I was looking for. It wasn't what I had a taste for. I could remember, I, I can taste it. I knew what it's supposed to be like, but it wasn't like that at that restaurant. And I'm here to tell you, you go after anything else and think it will fill your void for God, and it won't taste the same. Its best attempt will be a failure. This is where you could say amen. Just, just again, you don't have to. That's just me bringing my history back into this but you're allowed to say amen here. Like, you can talk back to me. If you don't, I'm good. So, um, it's gonna fail. It's going to fail every, every time. And, and this is frustrating, because there's a lot of great things in this world that we wanna enjoy. And I'm not calling you to lead a life without enjoyment. I'm just saying, make sure that the enjoyment never takes the place of God. Be very careful how you enjoy. The mature believer has to be careful of what they enjoy and how they enjoy it and when they enjoy it and how much they enjoy it. Because if they're not careful, it will slowly, maybe even quickly, become an idol unto you. 
And we got a warning about this, right? The people of God, the Israelites, they got a warning in Deuteronomy 31. And we covered that. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses is given a song to write, super depressing song, not as good as, you are good, you're good. Wasn't wasn't that? This was like a y'all suck song. And the song says, after you get fat off the land, after you enter in and claim it, and enjoy this milk and honey I got for you. I'm paraphrasing now. You read it for yourself if you want the exact. After you get fat, you're going to get distracted off of this, and you're going to forget the Lord your God. You're going to forget the one who gave you that promised land. You're going to forget the promiser. You're going to get overly consumed with promises. You're going to get overly consumed with provision. You're going to forget me. You're going to go serve idols. It seems crazy that enjoyment and satiety, or satiety, fulfillment, could be a problem. But if you find fulfillment and you forget the God who fulfills, you got a big issue. Because you will begin to worship the fulfillment itself. You'll worship peace instead of the God who gives peace. Right? You'll worship the fact that a problem's gone instead of worshiping the problem solver. We have to be very careful not to celebrate God for his things. Now, I gave an example about a wallet last week, but I'm going to use a different example using a wallet, and this is something that's an oldie but goodie that Judah did. It's probably in the first year I was here, so if you don't remember, it's okay. But I remember Judah once called me up to the stage. He held out his wallet, and he said, Donovan, here. And I took his wallet. And then, essentially, he was waiting to see, like, would I stay around now that I had the thing that would provide for me? And I didn't. Well, one, because he told me not to. Way the, way the imagery worked, like I would have stuck around. I, I was going to follow instructions. But he told me to walk away because he wanted to give a picture of what it's like for God to hand out his provision and you, for the, you to forget the owner of the wallet. Kids do this all the time, particularly teenagers. So if you don't have teenagers yet, shoot. College students too, because I work with a lot of families of college students and those jokers forget all the time who pays the bills. I don't know why my mom's sweating me about these A's and B's. Like, I can get whatever grades I want. No, you can't. They're co-signing. We can't forget the one who provides the provision. We can. We can't forget the co-signer of the loan, students, if you're listening. We can't forget that because if we do, we will gather up idols. The Israelites would have never thought in their season that they would forget the God who parted the Red Sea that they would forget the God who swallowed the Egyptians in that Red Sea, who had destroyed the Amorites, they never would have thought they'd forget him. The God who provided manna from heaven, they never thought they would forget him. The God who made sure their sandals, not Nike, by the way, but still really good sandals, never wore out for 40 years. That God, they never thought they'd forget him. But then they entered the land. And then they enjoyed the land. Remember those grapes that the spies brought back? all big and stuff, they were eating grapes, making some wine, going to celebrations, and then all of a sudden marrying other people from other nations, even though they knew that wasn't something they should be doing, and then celebrating in ways that they knew they shouldn't be celebrating. It happens subtly. You go to this event. It's not an evil event. You check out this app. It's not an evil app. You watch this show. It's not an evil show. It doesn't say, you know, Worship Satan in the show, like explicitly, but you're doing it. So we got to be very careful of the things that we enjoy. 
Because enjoyment's what set them apart, or enjoyment's what, what messed them up, rather. Enjoyment and fulfillment's what got them. See, because they could defeat any of the enemies that were there. They were given the land. It wasn't by war that they got thrown off. It wasn't by a strong, mighty enemy. We're not talking about the Goliaths of this day. Like, that's not their issue. These are not the meek Israelites of David's time. These Israelites were kicking butt and taking names. These Israelites were seeing that God could stop the sun in its place because when the sun was standing still, they had victory. This God was stopping the sun from, for them so that they could win battles. That's the God they abandoned. And it happened slowly. And I offer this warning not to scare you. Remember, last week wasn't about condemnation. It was just, hey, be careful what you enjoy, right? Because this should describe how you have a relationship with God, not everything else. Like, it started off being something about food for me, but now I'm never going to look at food the same way. Not because food's evil, but this expression will never be fully expressed in my life in any other way but in my worship. I don't want to enjoy food as much as I enjoy God. So either I got to decrease how much I enjoy food, or I got to increase how much I enjoy God. Because sometimes the way I talk about food is wild. Like when I placed the order for Cravings by Matt, my friend's business, oh, like, my lips are wet ordering the food, right? When, when I say I'm going to go to Burgatory and, like, insert whatever meat you want, like elk, bison, all of it's good, I'm excited. My wife went to Meadows yesterday. She said, you trying to go? I'm like, no, I've got to prepare for the sermon. I really shouldn't. Let me check these flavors. Meadows isn't evil, y'all, but I don't talk about God that way. Like, hey, did you miss your time of worship today? Yeah, I did. Let me see what God has for me. I don't say that as regularly as I say, what's the flavor for June the 22nd? And it was chocolate Oreo, by the way. And I mixed it with an Arctic swirl, woo-wee, with some cookie dough pieces, popping. It was melted by the time my wife brought it home different story. I'll explain later if you want to hear it. No. But all the same, it was good, but I want to approach God that way, and I want you to do the same. So that's your review. Oh, yeah, wait, sorry. Psalm 23, 5, also amazing. God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, and I said that these enemies, they're not always physically strong, domineering things. Like the Israelites, I think sometimes it's things we enjoy. These enemies are our distractions, which we'll go into a little bit more detail today. These enemies aren't things that have guns to our head. No, these enemies are apps that got algorithms that work really effective. And, peep this, and we'll talk about it more later, apps aren't the only things that use algorithms. That's not a new concept. Satan's been running us on algorithms for a long time. We just got savvy on the term. That fruit won't surely kill you, Kevin. Algorithm. David on a roof. She's bad. Algorithm. You see it all throughout Scripture where Satan says, 
What is it that you enjoy? I can give you more of that. I got you. Got an endless supply of that. And then you forget the one who's really providing everything that is good. All good gifts come from who? Yeah, but see, we forget that. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more today. Good review? Anything I leave out? No? Okay, cool. So let's talk about today. Today doesn't necessarily have a title, and mainly just because in my prep, um, I ended up combining elements of uh, what I intended to do last week and what I wanted to do this week. So if you're writing in your notes, a title, and you could change it if you want, this is just a workshop title I came up with, was Distractions, Empty Calories and Full Plates. Long, I get it. But you could also use Buen Provecho Part 2. <laughs> Whatever you want. So what are we talking about? Well, I kept saying last week that there's things that are stealing our attention from God. I even said it in the review. And so I wanted to kind of categorize them. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. really isn't. There's just three things that I noticed that a lot of the things that hurt me, they fit in these buckets. I actually alluded to the first one already. So for distractions, the example that I thought of, and we won't actually go to the passage because it is super long for what I wanted to uncover, but if you're writing in your notes, 2 Samuel, all of chapter 11, and the first 23 verses of chapter 12. See why I'm not reading it? This passage is talking about David and how David entered into a sin pattern, an algorithmic issue. We kept making one decision after another, after another, swiping and swiping and swiping and liking and liking and commenting. And eventually he found himself being in a plot for murder and even losing his son or child. I don't actually know the gender, but child. Right. Started off super light, I guess. He didn't want to go to war. Right? And it references another passage, interestingly enough. Um, I, I don't remember the reference passage, but it talks about how in the spring, in the times when kings go to war, and there's another passage in the Old Testament where it talks about how the Moabites chose in the spring to go to war with the Israelites and how they changed their, their war tactic, where instead of fighting the Israelites in the hills, because they started to believe that God was a God only of the hills, they got it twisted because they didn't realize that the earth is the Lord's and everything therein. But they thought his power and his influence only relied or only, uh, or only resided in the hills. So they decided in the spring to fight the Israelites in the lowlands. All right, so when it says in the time of the, in, of the spring, when kings go to war, it's referencing that. Like there's been a pattern where these warring factions, the Moabites and the Samaritans or the Sumerians and the Israelites, they just had this pattern where they just kept fighting each other. Ammonites kept fighting each other. And it just so happened that maybe in the spring was a good time that they were like, okay, the weather's right. <laughs> we can do this. What's up? I got 20,000. What you got? And they started fighting. All right. This time when David could have been leading his men, something he was known for, right? Before becoming king, he was known for putting in work. David wasn't a king that just sat back and let his, his soldiers fight. It was actually probably what endeared him to a lot of his soldiers. He always showed up. He has, he has heads that he can account for, if you're familiar with Goliath. Right? So David has fought people before. He doesn't go to this battle. And we don't really necessarily know why, right? 
But I would assume, taking a little bit of liberty here, that enjoyment and fulfillment might have been a cause, similar to the Israelites. I think there's a pattern. I think David enjoyed a lot of success. And Mike Tyson says this. This is not in Scripture, but it's actually kind of applicable. Mike Tyson says, it's hard to train when you get up from silk sheets. The reference meaning early on in his career when he didn't have anything and he was poor, he was a poor kid from New Jersey, he could beat people to sleep. But when he became champion and he had a little bit of money and he had a tiger, (laughs) don't know why he bought a tiger, it was harder to train because he had so much enjoyment. He had everything he wanted, everything at his beck and call. And David, even more so than Mike Tyson, had anything he could ever want. So he decided, I ain't going to war. And without going fully into the story, just know that decision then cascades into him looking a little too long at somebody. Because noticing someone's beautiful is not a sin. But you linger, that's a problem. That's when we're entering into lust. And I'm not giving you a certain amount of seconds. So Michael, there's not a certain amount of seconds. Just don't do it. Because I've had younger husbands and like brothers that are dating and friends of mine that go like, how many seconds until you're lusting? If you got to ask that, you're lusting. <laughs> Women, if you got to ask that, you're lusting. If you got to know how much time, you're lusting, right? But David found himself going from being lazy because of all the silk sheets to looking too long to calling for somebody to come through, right? To doing something he wasn't supposed to do to then trying to hide it, to then having a plot for murder, which is weird because I would imagine when he was given this command to Joab, and again, when you read the story, you'll see it, to kill one of his soldiers, I'm surprised Joab went through with it. Like, it's just, it was just so, he, he brought other people into his sin, like, his sin's pervasive, right? Like, eventually, as you start to enjoy things you're not supposed to enjoy, you start telling other people about it. It's apps amazing. This show's so great. I mean, it's a lot of sex scenes, but like, you can get past that. Just fast forward. You don't know if your friend's going to fast forward. What are you doing? We make recommendations for things that we have no business making recommendations for. But then when I say to you, share the gospel, you go, but I'm scared. So we got a problem, saints, because we're not talking about God the way we talk about things that are lesser. We're using buen provecho incorrectly. So David is bringing other people into his sin because other people had to get involved for him to murder the person he wronged. And eventually he gets called out because God doesn't let anything slide. He loves us too much to let us slip away without being, mentioning it at all. So you'll see how it gets reconciled. I mean, and sad, a baby dies, but it, it, it's cool because he brings in the man of God to say, hey, I got a story for you, David, and you'll read it and it's pretty cool. So be careful of distractions. Because it might start off small, but eventually your distraction could distract others and then everybody is distracted. Right? Be careful of that. Now, the second thing, just to keep us on time, is empty calories. This one actually comes with a passage, just in case you were wondering, man, when is he going to give me some of the word? Right? Hell. Genesis 25, please. Empty calories, if you're not familiar, is... Referring to, and I'm going to try my best to do this without having Cass look at me silly. (laughs) Empty calories is how we would refer to certain food or drink items that while they provide temporary energy by way of their high sugar content, 
don't offer enough nutritional value to justify their consumption. Summary? I mean, again, probably lacking. We have somebody who's trained to be a dietitian. If you're really curious about empty calories beyond what this sermon can offer, I recommend our sister Cass. But essentially, I'm using it to say this. Anything I consume that takes more from me than it gives is an empty calorie. So get away from the nutrition for a second and from the amazing dietetics degree that our sister Cass is getting. Anything that takes more from me than it gives is a problem because the things of God, oh, they give. They rarely take. And even when he's asking you to give something up, it is minuscule compared to, right? So let's go to Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34, I believe. And we're looking at the story of Jacob and Esau. Oh, not Lamentations. This is a good one. We'll bring this up later. I'll pull it up too. We'll race. Ah, got to it first. So Genesis 25, starting at verse 29. And I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified C, which sidebar, there are two Amplifieds. Did any of you guys know that, that there's two translations that have Amplified as a name? So Wassa put me on this, my word. If you're wordy like me, and you like a lot of adjectives in your scripture, then may I recommend the Amplified Classic. You thought the Amplify had a lot of words, but like I have been so blessed by this translation. We won't read all of it in this because like we would never get out of here. But man, is this translation rich. And it's a tool. I'm not saying use that instead of the translation you're using. I'm just saying it might be something to help illuminate if you're a bit confused. So I'm reading out of the Amplify C. Oh, wait, or not. Let's read out of what my sister Sydney has. Cindy has. So 29. When Jacob had cooked stew... Esau, his older brother, came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I'm famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Now, before I keep reading... Any Bible scholars out there able to tell me what a birthright is? Bob, I'm just going to pick on you because last week we realized me picking on the wrong people doesn't go well. Bob, your best, like, layman's terms, what is a birthright? Okay. And it, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. I'll, I'll add just slightly, and again, this is just, I think it's a really cool thing. We could look at this uh, in this way. Every, every child is given something. The firstborn oftentimes was given property or land or the ability to store the something plus something. Whereas everybody else was just given something. 
So for instance, I'm the firstborn in my family. I might be given the house, right? And I might be given the car, but maybe my brother gets the piano. We're both getting something, but typically my something is more valuable. Typically my something allows us to sustain the familial or estate wealth. My something can propagate more somethings. His something can be enjoyed, it may have value, but it doesn't necessarily replicate itself in the same way. So that's my little addendum, okay? So Esau is getting ready for some soup. And we'll throw in bread. My translation that I was looking at had bread in there, but, you know, we'll throw in some bread. Maybe even that fresh stuff that Commonplace started serving. Again, Commonplace is not sponsoring this message. I just like going there. So if it comes up a lot, it's just because I like frequencing there. So TJ didn't pay for nothing, right? Allison didn't ask me to do this. I just really like Commonplace. All right, cool. Red soup and some fresh bread from Commonplace, and he's about to give up what Bob and I just explained. Help me understand it. Help me understand it. And you go, he's so dumb. Why would he do that? But we do it all the time. Not condemnation. Just pointing out something we need to be on guard about. That there are things we pursue that take so much from us and give us so little in return. That red soup, I don't care how good. I don't care if Jacob is Bobby Flay. That red soup, at best, sustains him for maybe a couple hours. Maybe a day, if it's the heartiest soup he's ever had. But Esau, being one known of hunting, wild game, I'm assuming a big, brothy brother, like, like the tough guy, right? Probably needs to eat more than once a day. That soup and bread isn't going to do but so much. You need more than what you're getting, but you take less because your desires are off. You take less because you haven't evaluated your desires in a while. You don't realize it, but you're desiring certain things more than you desire God. So you get less than what you give. An example that may be more relevant. Let's finish reading, then I'll give it to you. Esau said, behold, I am about to die, dramatic. So of what use then is this birthright to me? Everything. Birthright meant he could have bought more soup. Just even if you don't understand birthright, whatever he would have got could have bought him some more soup. He might have even got a chef in his birthright who could have cooked soup. So just bad trade. And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So he walks away from it, not only trading something of far greater value, but then he despised the thing he traded. He's mad at the thing he traded as opposed to mad at himself. He should have despised himself for his undisciplined transaction, for his undisciplined lifestyle. We're we're shifting the blame and we're being angry at things that really have no reason for us to be angry with because we feel depleted, we feel bamboozled. And while yes, Satan is a part of it, your desire is just as problematic. So we got to check it. And we can. 
And hope's coming, although I have one more thing that's going to make you feel bad, and then we'll get to the hope part. But story, though, about giving so much and getting so little, me and Danny, right, uh, entered into a one-week covenant, right, which was really cool. Danny was astutely listening to the messages. I'm sure all of you were, and I know you took copious notes. And one of the things that apparently I talked about a lot, like I listened to the message twice this week, once last night at like one in the morning. I mentioned ESPN for like several minutes. <laughs> and Danny, in her love for me, not her condemnation for me, said, hey, bro, what if this week you gave up ESPN? Because you said... She didn't say it as aggressive. I'm saying it that way. Because it's funnier if I say it that way, that you're like, I'm listening. I'm not going to fall asleep. Danny said it far sweeter. You said that if you put it down, that's the only way you're truly going to lay it down. That saying, it's not that bad, and trying to rationalize it and explain it away isn't helping. That if you're giving too much time and too much energy and too much mental capacity or emotional capacity to something, you just got to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And it sounds overly simple, but truly, that's the first step. It's saying, I'm not doing this anymore. Doesn't mean you won't have uh, reoccurrences. Don't mean, doesn't mean you won't struggle, but I'm not going to do this. All right? So Danny says, hey, why don't you lay down ESPN for a week? And she didn't just challenge me to do something. She said, and I'll lay down something too. So Danny stayed off of Facebook. So if she didn't say happy birthday this week to you, she wasn't on Facebook. Right? Danny's always giving exhortations and saying positive things on Facebook. So if you didn't get a message from Danny this week, she loves you, but she wasn't on Facebook. And I got no updates about Dame Lillard and the Heat. So if we acquired him, I don't know. If he went to another team, so what? I didn't watch ESPN all week. And you might say, that's such a small thing, Donovan. No. I, my boss might be watching. So let me say this carefully. I enjoyed in the background of my screen while working on my work really intently. And I'll turn it on at 9 a.m. And sometimes I'm leaving work and as I'm shutting down my systems, I'm shutting down ESPN. It's crazy how fast something so benign can become an idol. For me, maybe not for you. You may watch it and go, I don't watch it that long. The highlights repeat. They're so political now. I don't even like ESPN. I watch Fox News or Fox Sports. They're political too. But you might not really thrive on ESPN, but I do, and I'm putting in five hours of work per week, or per day, sorry, per day. <laughs> 25 hours a week I'm giving to ESPN, and that's not counting when I ask my wife to sit through a basketball or football game. Poor thing has to watch it at the end of the day too. And then I'm regurgitating all of the statistics and all of the stories and all the transactions that are happening between the teams while we're watching the game. So she can't even enjoy the game. Because as the person's dunking, I'm telling her it's that person's thousandth dunk. And I know this because Stephen A. said it. So I have a problem. Now, my sister could have looked at me and said, huh, you got a problem. And a lot of y'all do that. Pause for reflection. A little more pause. Y'all not reflecting. <laughs> a lot of us are really good at pointing out people's issues, but not walking with them to fix it. I don't need you to point out my issues. I need you to point them out and then say, I want to help you resolve it. 
I regained 25 hours of my life this week because my sister lovingly challenged me. Helped with sermon prep, amazingly. I actually had time for a devotional this week, Danny. It was crazy, because last week I had no time. Where am I going to fit it? There's just no room for time for God. It was amazing last week. I had none. This week I had so much time. I laid down an idol. Now, I'm not saying I'm never going to watch ESPN again. I'm not saying enjoyment is evil. Uncontrolled, untamed, unevaluated pleasure and fulfillment is. Hear me. You can enjoy a lot of stuff. Better yet, 1 Corinthians puts it this way. Everything is permissible or all things are permissible or you can do quite a bit of things if you don't like all because you feel like, well, not all things. There's a lot of things you can do, but not all things are beneficial. ESPN's not an evil thing, right? There are things I could mention as examples in this message that would be evil, and you'd be like, Donovan, obviously you have to give that up. Like, no Christian does that. But I'm purposely giving you things that are benign because I think that's a greater issue. That's the thing that's sabotaging us most, Judah mentioned the reference about adultery a few weeks ago and how he doesn't engage in it, not because he is fearful of being caught, but because he never wants to harm the person he loves most, right? That's an obvious one when he says it. If anybody doesn't say amen to Judah or a pastor saying, I'm not going to commit adultery, you're, you're weird. You're just weird. That's a good thing. It's obvious. But if Judah were to say, I'm going to stop watching so many soccer matches, you'd be like, what's wrong with soccer? Football is amazing. It's the world's most popular sport. But football might be a bigger issue. So I want you to check the things that Lori seem innocent, but they ain't so innocent, Miss Kelly. Right? I want, Michael, for you to check the things that seem innocent, but if, okay, that was a power clean, by the way. Maybe not a good one but like it's where the weight, the bar is here and you explode up through your legs. It's not meant to be an upper body exercise. It transitions into an upper body. Michael, check me if I'm wrong. So it starts off with an explosive movement of the hip flexors, right, and extensors and the gluteal muscles, all of them, there's multiple glutes. And then when you get up about here, then we're throwing the shoulders back and then we're engaging our triceps just a little bit. Don't make it too much arms. And we're rolling that upper back and then we're flipping our wrists, right? And then standing for a victorious pose. Michael could do a lot of those. That's not evil. But if he's not helping his wife fold the clothes, we got a problem. He ain't hugging his kids. We got a problem. Enjoyment is what I'm most concerned about today. Because I want Michael enjoying God more than he enjoys weightlifting. And I know you love weightlifting. But what would it look like? What does your family look like? How does the generations that flow from you and Molly look if you enjoy God more than you enjoy power cleaning? More than you enjoy deadlifts? More than you enjoy lifting Atlas stones? And I know you love it. I know Joe loves drumming. He loves music. Nothing wrong with that, but what does your family look like, Joe, if you enjoy God more than music? I'm not saying give music up. I'm just saying make sure we know when we look at your life and we carefully examine you, brother, that we see that God is the priority. If he is, the world changes. 
New York City's different. Your show is different. The people you play with are different. Because just like distractions can distract, man, a person set out for the Lord, focused, worshiped, right? Worshiped up, truly enjoying him. Oh, that's contagious too. I want us to be more contagious. Not so much preachy. Just contagious through our example. Our love is far more effective than any turn or burn sermon on a, on a corner, any track you can pass out, any daily bread link you can share. That's how we practice as the kingdom trying to expand it. But listen, you enjoying God, Matt, really enjoying God, so much more effective at saving the people at your job. Because they're going to be like, wow, I want to enjoy the God that Matt enjoys. I'll at least taste and see. Make sense? Okay. So that's empty calories. Last one, we kind of hinted at it already, so we won't dig into it too long. But the last one is full plate. Again, if you're taking notes and you're like, he didn't do it yet, I'm about to now. Wusa. Full plate. So for this one, again, I use ESPN as an example. I think that's pretty good, right? But let's say ESPN is not your issue. Let's say it is one of the apps. And our church is not anti-Facebook, even though I know you hear like a lot of social media references and messages. And we're not anti-media. We're not anti-meta. You can use your apps. They're okay. We just use them too much. Check your phone because my phone, and I'm sure yours has something similar, has something called digital well-being. You can see how much you're using them. You got a full plate? You say, I have no time for God? Check your usage. I'm willing to bet not condemnation, just evaluation, Kevin, that if you check your app usage, you might go, hmm, I think I can find some time for God here. And you pick your choice, because you might have three apps that are over two hours a day, and you didn't even know it. The algorithm's doing what the algorithm does. And Sam, no, not hide small business content. (laughs) The goal of the algorithm, though it does that too, because I'd be hurting, I put out reels, people don't see it. But the real goal of the algorithm is to keep your attention. Sustained attention is what the algorithm is really doing. So if Josh likes or comments on something, it'll give you more of what you liked and commented on. It's part of their business model. It's how they steal market share in your life. Well, Donovan, what's market share? Businesses are seeking to gain 100% of the available customers to patronize their business. Apps are the same. Want to know how I know? A few weeks ago, Instagram dropped threads for my people that are really social media acquainted. Now, threads, you might go, what is that? It's Twitter. It's Twitter with like a pink symbol, right? It's Twitter by Instagram. The lawsuit, they can't say that in like the briefs, (laughs) but it's Twitter, right? Because Instagram says, hey, some people are still using Twitter, even though everybody says Twitter is over with. Some people still tweeting, and we want to steal some market share. So we're going to release a product that someone might enjoy for just a little bit, because maybe we can get 15 more minutes out of them. Because if we can squeeze 15 more minutes of time, we can throw another ad in. And if we throw another ad in, we can charge more revenue to the companies that advertise through us. It's all a game. Television works the same way. Books well, not so much books. Books are cool. Felicia likes books. We're not going to talk about books. We'll leave books out. (laughs) 
But there's other things, food, restaurants, you name it, that works on a model where they say, can we take just a little bit more of the Labrazi's money? A little bit more of the sailor's money. Can we get them to come back? Maybe a 10% coupon, right? For some chicken tenders might get them to buy a meal for their daughter. Because daughters love chicken tenders, right? So everybody's seeking to steal attention and time and bandwidth. And when you feel like you have too full of a plate, digital well-being is not the only thing you can use to assess. If you don't have a fancy phone, a smartphone, you got a dumb phone, all you got to do is journal what you did that day and write timestamps. That method that existed before digital well-being. Write down everything you did in one day. Do it for a week. You don't journal, start journaling. Start tracking. You will find that there's so much time to cut the grass, so much time to help fold the clothes, so much time to help wash the dishes, speaking to the husbands, so much time to help with the kids, so much time to look at the budget. Sorry, fellas, I know we have like a, a, a fire tonight and you guys are gonna get mad that I'm outing you, but there's so much time to do all the things that we say we don't have time for. Ladies, same thing. I'm not gonna give you examples. You know what you avoid. There's so much time. Take inventory of what you're giving your time to because your plate's full of the wrong things. I'm not saying don't eat. I'm saying fill your plate with the Lord because he won't leave you drowsy and lethargic as Proverbs warns where it says stay away from drunkards and gluttons because they, they, are, they are poor from their habits and they're drowsy from the things that they consume. A full plate of God doesn't lead to drowsiness or distractedness or ineffectiveness or poverty. No, when you fill your plate with God, it leads to riches and peace and more of his presence and power and authority and experience. It leads to you impacting the world around you. So fill your plate with God. Now for the possible. Can we go back to Lamentations? Because we pulled it up early, but I actually just want to go there. So good. So we're going to do Lamentations 3, starting at verse 22. Now, I'm a bit of a nerd when I actually do jump into my text. And so I remembered as I was finding this verse that there's something really cool about how Lamentations is structured. Before I say it, though, because I don't want to be the only nerd in the room, does anybody know how many verses are in chapter 1 of Lamentations? Don't look, just if you know it off the top of your head. Anybody know? All right, now look, because nobody knew. How many verses are in chapter 1? Anybody shout it out? 22. 22. How many verses are in chapter 2? Twenty-two. How many chapters are in chapter four? Guess how many are in chapter five? How many letters in the Jewish alphabet? Really dope that they chose that technique. How many books are in the Bible? 
Say it with confidence. That's how y'all sound it. Like the mic can't pick that up. There's no mics out there. 66. How many verses are in chapter 3, which I'm about to cite? I just thought that was so cool. Again, nerd moment. And I think it's interesting because the chapter of Lamentations that's most positive has three times as many verses as the ones, the chapter's full of all the regrets and woe to us and man, we really messed up chapters. And three has significance, right? So don't get overly focused on the numbers, but my frat brother pointed it out one time and I just thought, man, that's really cool. And so verse 22 through 24, this passage, in the probably the most positive of the five chapters of Lamentations, read the whole thing, because all of it offers value. Jeremiah was really writing, but chapter three is pretty cool. After all this talk about distractions and empty calories and full plates, Jeremiah gives us this, so that you understand that even though these apps and all these things have set out to consume your time and to consume your attention and to consume your mental bandwidth, this is what promise we have. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. No, I don't like your translation. Sorry. And I gave this to you, so that's my fault. Here, let me use mine. Cindy, you're doing great. That's, that's my, my bad, because I gave you that translation. Amplify C, for which I'm falling in love with more and more. It is because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness that we are not consumed. That's what I'm looking for. You say, well, I'm doing all these things and they're not that bad. But I'm telling you, Josh, the things that you enjoy that aren't God, they are consuming parts of you little by little. And when I say I want you to avoid those things, I'm not saying to do it in your own strength. For it's because of the Lord's loving kindness and his mercy that you, and the passage initially is talking about the Israelites, but I think there's a principle we can glean from it, you will not be consumed. He won't let ESPN have my soul. He won't let ESPN get 25 hours. He's always given me a way of escape. I didn't take it. So let's continue to read again in the Amplified State. It is because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness that we are not consumed. Because of his tender compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great and abundant is your stability and faithfulness. The Lord is my portion or share says my living being, my inner self, therefore will I hope in him and wait expectantly for him. I'll savor him and look forward to my next opportunity for a mofongo. If I can do it with food, I want to do it for God. I want to look forward to the next encounter, and I want to reflect on how good the last encounter was, and I want to be in this cycle of God is so good, and I remember it because of last time, and I go back to him, and I enjoy him again, and then God is so good, and I enjoy him again, and then God is so good, and then when you sing that song that we ended our worship time with, our singing portion of worship with, you say with more confidence, you are good, you're good, oh, or oh, because you can tie more and more encounters to that truth. So it stops being lyrics and it starts being a way of life. God is good, so I want more of that. Because good things I should crave. 
Correction. God things I should crave. So if you find yourself being consumed, know that he will not allow that to take place. And all you have to do is say, God, free me from this rut. Free me from this idol that I didn't recognize was an idol. Free me from this pseudo addiction or addiction, however you want to label it. Free me all the same because I want to be fully, fully, fully available to you. Let's go over to Yes, yeah, do it. First Corinthians ten thirteen. How are we on time? Ooh, okay. Ooh. First Corinthians ten thirteen. And I referenced this already, um, but I think it's cool to read real quick. For no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and lays hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature, and he can be trusted. And he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always, not sometimes, always also provide the way out, the means of escape, to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. I don't care what you like a lot. I don't care what's distracting you. I don't care what empty calories you're consuming. I don't care how your plate is full. God has provided a way out of those things. You feel stuck because the app's and the food and the things make you feel stuck. They are good at it. That's what their marketing departments are for. That's what their product testing is for. That's what their quality control is for. They give you something that is worthy of being addicted to, but he is saying, I don't care how good and how convincing they are, you have been given a way of escape. I don't care what the issue is, and I don't mean it as in I don't care about you. I'm saying let's stop giving power to the issue and talking about it in such a way where we act like there's no freedom because that is making God small and the thing big, and that is a problem because that's a textbook definition of idolatry. I'm not going to make my issues that big anymore where in comparison to my God, I feel like there's no way of escape. There is always a way of escape. Okay, so we're running low on time. Not to rush. Clearly, I got excited. Way overprepared. That's okay. Want to skip to... I'm going to leave you with something dope. And all of Scripture is dope, so it's kind of hard. Ooh, okay, we'll speed read. We'll speed read. 
Cindy, don't pull these up because I'm going to be tempted to talk about them in long ways. So Psalm 42, in your notes, one through two, talks about how a deer panteth for water. And I was going to give you a little bit of time to talk about how, hey, I want to describe my desire and longing for the Lord in that. So Psalm 42, verses one through two, if you're asking your neighbor. Or as the deer panteth for water, so my soul longs for thee. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, also amazing, talks about somebody. Again, Psalm 103, 1 through 5, great reading for this week. Talks about what the results are of somebody who is feasting on the Lord. Talks about how blessed that person is. And it doesn't use specifically feasting on the Lord. I'm taking liberty. I admit it up front. But when you read it, you can't tell me that that's not how you describe a person who's truly buen provechoing the Lord. You can't make the argument. We can fight all day. We're not actually going to fight all day. But I promise you, how Psalm 103, 15 talks about the person that is blessed, that's going to be a description of you if you start feasting on my God, on your God. Let's see here. John 4, 34, Jesus says to the disciples, my food, because the disciples were concerned that Jesus wasn't eating. Like, who fed him? Who brought him food? He goes, my food is to do the will of my father. That's the sign of someone who's been feasting on God, that doing his will won't seem so laborious. And we talked about that last week. But you'll you'll look forward to doing what God wants you to do. About appetites. Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21, God will transform and fashion a new body and conform you to him. You say, my appetites can't change. Philippians 3 disagrees. And so does 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18. I'll say it again. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, talks about how he will transform you and give you a new body, a new body that conforms to him. And 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18 says, Behold, for anyone who is in Christ, they are a what? Say it with your chest. They are a new creation. The old is passed away, and in the old is your appetite. So if you had an incorrect bone appetite, you had an appetite for the things of this world, the things that are perishing, God will give you a new appetite for the things that will remain, the things that will endure, the things that are of him. You don't have to do it all on your own. He's resetting us. He's making us new. In view of his mercies, Romans 12 would say, verse 1 and 2, we always mention this. This comes up in so many sermons because it's so good. In view of his mercy, offer up your body as living sacrifice and be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God will renew your mind, your appetite, your proclivities, the things that you are interested in, the things that you desire. If water kefir can make me desire less sugary things, God can do far more. If kombucha can reset my gut, God can do much more. Natural things reset us. Why why, why not God? Natural things do good stuff for us. Why not God? Turmeric and ginger might take the swelling out my knees. God can do far more. We look to so many natural things for relief, but God is capable of doing far more than any of your remedies. And he has, and he will continue to do so. Last passage. Oh, so much. Bob, I know how you feel now, because there's times where you're like, I just got more. And, oh, man. All right. Um, where do we want to end? Ooh. 
Okay, I'll read only one of these, but I'm going to give you three more passages. Oh, this is so good. God is so... Oh! 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I want you to read that in your own time. I, I wrote in my notes, it's an answer to distraction. So I gave you a passage that answers all of the three things we talked about earlier because I don't want to give you a bunch of doom and gloom and not give you hope. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is an answer to distraction. Psalm 86, 11 through 12 is an answer to empty calories. But here's the passage I'm actually going to read and we're going to pray and we're going to be done. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Sis, can you pull that up for me? I'll read it in the translation I provided and then in the one that I have. So Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. For me, this is an answer to full plate. We'll read it and then we'll be done. Let me pull it up here. So I have it and you have it. Okay. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I want to give it to you another way. Amplify C says it this way. May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love, that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, what is the breath and the length and the height and the depth of it that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. And here's the part that I love. Because when we talk about having a full plate and eating and consuming so much that does nothing for us, I want you to know what, what God intends, what he actually wants you to be full of. At the end of verse 19, it says, that you may, after all these things he's going to do, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. God wants to stuff us with all of his presence. He wants to fill us to overflow. He's got so much to give us, we can't fit it in a sermon. That's why I ran out. He's got so much to give us. You got to stop relying on just Sundays. It's too much for one day. It's too much for a lifetime. We're going to get to heaven and still be learning about the goodness of God and going, oh, you're never going to forget that sound effect now. Because God has too much for you to get in the little bit of time you give him. So clear up that full plate, throw it all away, empty the plate. And when you think, well, what am I going to have left? God's saying, I'm finna fill y'all up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, God, for giving us so much to ponder, so much to chew on. Lord, if anything that I said, um, God, was a distraction, anything I said uh, hindered learning, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring about learning this week, that they, that, that they, my brothers and sisters, would receive everything that you had for them. Preaching alone will not save them. Only you can. And so, God, 
in the way that you desire to continue saving them, if anything, anything stands in the way of them being saved, being filled, being overflowed, God, remove it. As they look back over this recording on YouTube, as they look over the passages that were given, as they study the things that you also offer them, the things that might supersede the things I've given, Lord, fill them to overflow. So much so that, God, any of the distractions, empty calories, and full plate issues that they've had before will pale in comparison to the glory that you have for us. God, we want to be filled. God, we have made room for you. God, fill that space. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, God, that we get to say with enthusiasm, buen provecho, when we see our brothers and sisters drawing closer to you, because we know with confidence we will always enjoy, and there's so much to take full advantage of. Thank you, God, for this. More importantly, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your rest. Thank you for your power. Thank you for you. It's in your name I pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.